Good morning and a warm Hatfield welcome to you. Uh, in the service today, we're going to continue our series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at particularly what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit and for what purpose God gives those gifts. But let us join together now as we worship the Lord and trust the Holy Spirit to fill us as we worship God. Let our praise be your welcome. Let our songs be a sign we are here for you. We are here for you. Let your breath come from heaven. Fill our hearts with your life. We are here for you. We are here for you. To you our hearts are open. Nothing here is hidden. You are our one.
Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are faithful no matter what, that you're faithful in the good times, the bad times, that you're faithful to us, that your eye of kindness is on our lives. Thank you for this time of worship. And as we continue our worship in our giving now, Lord, we pray that you continue to presence yourself with us wherever we are. We pray this in Jesus' name. So thank you for your generosity as always in giving to the church. And we trust that today as you prepare in your hearts to give, that you would do so joyfully and gladly. Uh, please take note of the banking details that will come up on the screen with the uh, account numbers for electronic transfers or the relevant QR code that you would need. And thank you for your generosity and goodness to others by giving to the church. Bless you. So we continue today with our series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be doing part two, which, we, which we've entitled The Spirit and the Gifts. The Spirit and the Gifts. Now, before we get into that, let's just remember some things that we established in part one of our series. We established that if you're in Christ, you're part of the body of Christ. And today we're going to focus a lot more on what are the spiritual gifts. So if you've ever wondered what they are, at least the ones that are recorded for us in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, uh, we're really going to be getting into that today. So what are the spiritual gifts? In the series, as I've mentioned, we're focusing on those particular three chapters in the book of Corinthians. And we looked last week at the word charismata, the grace gifts and pneumatica that come from the spirit of God. But the purpose of the gifts always is the edification of the church. And perhaps on occasion, uh, the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14 says that it can be for the conviction of unbelievers as well. But one of the nicer ways to think of the gifts of the Spirit is that, is that they are the grace of God coming into visible effect, both through word and through deed. The grace of God coming into visible effect in word and deed. That's at least how the New Bible Dictionary uh, explains the gifts of the Spirit. And so we're looking at this church in Corinth that probably had a bit of a challenge around the gifts. More, not so much what the gifts were, because they were already a gifted church, as we've seen from chapter 1, verse 7 but a little bit more on how they practice the gifts, perhaps an over-focus on one of the gifts, most likely the gift of tongues. And so Paul, in these three chapters, gives us five lists of spiritual manifestations or spiritual gifts, probably at least 15 different gifts, maybe more, that are recorded for us in these three chapters because Paul's really trying to argue to the Corinthian church for a greater diversity or greater variety when they gathered. And that's an important context to remember when we consider the gifts of the Spirit. It is primarily in these chapters about when the church gathers. But as I said last time, once we clearly understand the principles that operation when the church gathers, we can really extend the use of the gifts into our private spaces, into our families, our workspaces, and other public spaces as well. And so the lists that we find not only in Corinthians, but also in Romans and Ephesians are probably not exhaustive lists. They are ad hoc lists. It's these kinds of things that are manifestations or evidence of the Holy Spirit bestowing gifts on the church. Probably the fundamental Corinthian question was, what does it mean to be spiritual? And the Corinthians had thought that it was really overemphasizing some of the gifts and being super spiritual in the way that, that perhaps they used the gift of tongues. And Paul is trying to counter that and tell them what it really means to be spiritual. Now, one of the things we learned last week that to be spiritual, it's really important important to be part of the body of Christ. But by way of recap, let's just look at three key principles that we addressed last week in terms of being part of the body. The first one was, do not disqualify yourself 
or the gift that God has given you. Do not disqualify yourself. Remember that you cannot say, because I am not, I don't belong. Don't disqualify yourself. But equally important, the second principle was, don't dismiss others or the gift that God has given them. You can't say, I don't need you, or we don't need this gift in our church, or we don't need this type of uh, spiritual person, this type of person in our church. But what Paul is arguing for in the verses we're going to read today and that we read last week is that God's plan is diversity and unity. Unity is important because we're one body and it's one spirit that gives the gifts, but there's a variety and a diversity of the gifts that God gives in these places. And so we're going to go back to the beginning of chapter 12 as part of our series and start looking at how Paul starts addressing this issue with the church in Corinth. So if you have a Bible or a device, please get it ready and let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to start reading right from the beginning. We're going to focus on the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit and just depending how time goes, we might look at a few others as part of the presentation as well. So let's read together 1 Corinthians 12 from verse 1 to 3. Paul writes now about introducing a new topic to the church in Corinth, now about the gifts of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, the uninformed here to the Corinthians means probably more about the diversity of gifts and how the gifts work. We know that they knew about the gifts and were practicing the gifts. So it's not that they were ignorant. It's much more about the how and the why that Paul is focusing on with them. So he does not want them to be uninformed. And then two verses which kind of seem to be a bit left field, a bit off the point, but I'll try and give them some context for you. Paul writes and he says, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. What is happening here? And, and there is a bit of speculation amongst the commentators, and it, it probably is less than 100% clear. But this is where I think Paul is just trying to land in a space. The people he's writing to, the Corinthians, came from pagan backgrounds. And in the worshipping of their idols, they would have been familiar with something which is called an, an ecstasy, where you get caught up in a spirit. If we think of the Greek-speaking world, the Corinthians would have been familiar, for example, with the Delphic Oracle, where from what we understand in that is that uh, the, the, the oracles, the prophetesses who represented the, or the oracle would fall into trances or a spiritual ecstasy. And so perhaps Paul is alluding to that, that in their previous life, they would be familiar with this concept of being carried along by the spirits or strongly influenced or even perhaps overcome by the spirits. And Paul is saying it's with Christian spiritual experiences, if you get motivated or animated or caught up in the Holy Spirit, it's not the same as a pagan ecstasy. It's not the same uh, as what they would have been used to in their past life. He's saying that you can't be caught up in the spirit and say something that is not true, something that is contrary to the teachings of Christ, something that we would today say is unbiblical, like Jesus be cursed. Jesus anathema is the Greek. You, you, you can't say something like Jesus be cursed and claim that the Holy Spirit inspired you to say it. You can't say something that's not true to the teachings of Christ, that perhaps is, if you want to use this word, not doctrinally correct, that's not true to the teachings of Scripture and say, well, the Holy Spirit led you to do that. Paul is saying that's not true. He's also saying that the Holy Spirit will lead you to say things that are truthful, like Jesus is Lord, which is one of the central messages of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I believe the principle that Paul is trying to land here is this, is that when one is inspired 
by the Spirit, content, what you say or what you do, still matters. It still has to align with the teachings of Scripture. It has to align with the teachings of Christ. So when you're inspired by the Spirit, whether prophecy, word of wisdom, whether it's a gift of healing, nothing that you do that is of spiritual origin will contradict the clear teachings of Scripture. You cannot say the Spirit led me that way when it's not in line with the Scripture. And that's important to remember as we now start talking about the operation of the different gifts of the Spirit, or sometimes we talk about the flow of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Content, truth, the content and the truth of the gospel still matters very much in these spaces. We need to stay true to the teachings of the Bible. Let's continue reading in 1 Corinthians 12 from verse 4 to 6. Paul establishes just some context for what he's about to launch into in verse 7. He writes and he says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit, the same Spirit distributes them, sorry. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, in these verses, some people like to find a bit of a categorization or distinction of the gifts. You know, in verse 4, Paul talks about kinds of gifts. In verse 5, he talks about different kinds of service. In 6, he talks about different kinds of working. Now, it is interesting, and you can do it. You can look at the gifts that are listed in the New Testament, and you can say, or spiritual manifestations, and say some are gifts, uh, some are of services, and some are kinds of workings. Um, I think it's, if it's valuable and it helps you understand, it's good. I'm not sure, uh, I'm not convinced that that's what Paul is actually doing in this text. I think his focus is much more on that there are different kinds, different kinds, different kinds, but it's the same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God, the same Father that gives them to us. If you want to bring in some matters of emphasis, you can say that the gifts are given. They're undeserved. They're given by grace. Their intent is service. That's what they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be there for the service of others. We're going to look at that. That's going to become a bit clearer in a little bit. And that they work by the power of God. They are sustained or animated by the source. God is the energizer of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But there is a variety of gifts coming from the same God. That is the purpose of this paragraph. That's the point Paul makes. So content matters when you're inspired by the Spirit. And there's a variety, there's diversity, but it's the same Holy Spirit, the same Jesus, the same Father. There's unity. Diversity and unity are God's plans in this place. So let's step in now and look at 1 Corinthians 12 from verse 7 to 10, where in this section we have nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that are listed for us. And again, I don't think this is an exhaustive list. I think it's examples that Paul is using to make his point. Let's read the paragraph, and then I want to show you a couple of things from the text in this paragraph. Verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. If I can pause here just for a minute, we'll get back to the text shortly. This is the fundamental principle in this in, in, if we're thinking about spiritual gifts when the church gathers, and I even think beyond when the church gathers, outside of church gatherings, is the gift of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, firstly, you'll notice that manifestation is singular, and it seems to be quite intentional by Paul that he does that. He says it's one manifestation. It's expressed in different ways, but it's one Spirit that gives it. It's a little bit like if you think of the fruit of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, also singular, fruit from one Spirit. And so all these gifts are from one Spirit. They're a manifestation of the same Holy Spirit. 
But the purpose of the gifts is for the common good. The purpose of the gifts is for others. The purpose of the gifts is always somebody else. And it's for their good, not their embarrassment. It's for their uh, building up, their edification, not their breaking down. This is the fundamental principle, verse 7. So I'm going to read it again. To each one, each one present in a gathering, a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Paul goes on and he says, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, uh, sorry, by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another interpretation of tongues. And so we'll look at those nine gifts and a little bit about what they are shortly. But I want you just to notice some things in the text. First, and, and hopefully you can see the colors well on whatever device you're watching on. Please notice that it's to one and to another and to another and to another and still to another. Different gifts are given to different people. It's a, dis, it's a wide distribution. The gifts are not given only to the pastors or to those who are employed full-time by the church. The gifts aren't given to those who lead life groups or who are shepherds in the church or to those who fast and pray. The gifts are given to each one, verse 7, to each one, to another. There should be a wide variety of gifts that are present when there's a spiritual meeting, when the church gathers. Now we're going to look at the difference in our gatherings and their gatherings when we look at chapter 14. But for now, if you can just remember that the gifts are distributed to another, different gifts to different people. But notice again the different kalia. It's through the Spirit, by means of the same Spirit, by that one Spirit. There's a diversity, but the source, the origin, the animator, the energizer behind all the gifts is the Spirit of God. And that's what brings unity and cohesion when we gather, is that the source of the gifts is always the Holy Spirit of God. So let's take a few minutes now and look at the different kinds of gifts that are listed for us in this passage, and I'm kind of going to go through them in the same order as they are listed there. The first gift, a message of wisdom, or in the more literal Greek, a logos of Sophia, a word, and often in charismatic circles we talk about a word of wisdom. Message is also a fair translation because it's usually more than one word. A message of wisdom, remember all these gifts are divine in origin, they originated by the Holy Spirit. But it's usually revelatory, it's bestowed by the Holy Spirit. Now, particularly in the Corinthian context, both the first two gifts, this word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, were particular, wisdom and knowledge were particular issues in Corinth. So to understand them more fully in the book of Corinthians, you need to also do a little bit of work in chapters 1 and 2 of Corinthians. But definitely wisdom would be associated of understanding the gospel and particularly understanding an appropriate application of the good news of Jesus Christ to a situation or to an event or to a context. So a word of wisdom is when God gives you wisdom in perhaps bringing things together. Two examples that we can see in the, in the scriptures of this. There's many. For each of these gifts, I'm going to try and give at least one example. But please note that there are many more. And just for purposes of time, I'm trying to restrict it. But one example of a word of operation could perhaps be seen in Acts chapter 15 and verse 28. Uh, where it's the Jerusalem council and they've had a debate and a discussion and the Holy Spirit's leading them. And in the end, they come to a conclusion where they actually say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And so this is about speaking wisely. The Holy Spirit led them to a place of wisdom 
actually about how to resolve a doctrinal or a theological issue in the early church at that time. So that's part of the word of wisdom. But it can also be a particular word of how to say the right thing at the right time or to do the right thing at the right time. We see this a little bit more in Peter's defense in Acts chapter 4. Peter gets arrested for preaching the gospel. And as a lowly fisherman, socially, you could say, he gets called to speak to the rulers of the Jewish council, the rulers of his day. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 8 to 12, it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke, and God gave him wisdom how to take what he understood from the scriptures, how to take what he understood was from what was happening around him in the context, how to consider even who he was speaking to, and God gave him the right message of wisdom to say. Now, that could be translated all the way through the rest of his message in Acts chapter 4, but it's definitely evident in those four verses that we've listed there for you. So the word of wisdom, God gives a gift of wisdom and understanding. The second one is the word of knowledge or the logos of gnosis. The gnosis is usually about the experiential knowledge. And the, the Corinthians had probably overemphasized the importance of, of knowledge or human wisdom, human knowledge in their, in their church. And so Paul corrects that earlier in the letter, but he says there is a, still a, a, a gift of the spirit that is bestowed, which gives knowledge. This is usually also uh, revelatory um, because it's bestowed by the spirit. And it generally means that you know something that you really couldn't have known by natural means. Now, sometimes someone will receive a word of knowledge just around the, the situation, and they'll just know that something's happening that no one told them about. They didn't read about it. It wasn't whispered. They just know the truth of what is going on in that situation. So it's knowing something that would be generally unknowable by uh, natural means. Great example of this is in Acts chapter 5, where we read the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Sapphira sorry. They sold their field, and they gave part of the proceeds to the apostles, but they lied, and they said that it was all. And Peter gets a word of knowledge. He knows that they're lying. There's no other way he could have known that naturally, but the Holy Spirit speaks to him, bestows on him a gift at that time, and he recognizes that they were lying. Very unpleasant consequences for Ananias and Sapphira. But often the word of knowledge will come in the church situation where God uses it to open the hearts. You, you, God reveals something about someone to you through the Spirit. You speak to them and you say, lovingly and gently, I believe God has showed me this. And that then might open their heart to further ministry or to further understanding of what God is doing and how God is loving them and caring for them in the situation. So it's knowledge that we wouldn't have known by any other means. The next one that's listed for us is the gift of faith. Now, this is not salvation faith. This is not the faith where you put your belief in Jesus Christ. This is like a, a higher measure, a higher order of faith. Where, where, uh, I've seen people experiencing the gifts of faith. I think I've maybe experienced it once or twice in my life. There's just this conviction that comes in your heart, in your, in your soul, that you know that God is going to act in the situation. You just know that God is going to do something. Now, usually the gift of faith is not given in isolation. The gift of faith comes in and you know, I must speak this word or I must pray for this person or we must trust God for this or we must pray that. There's just the certainty that comes that you know that you know that God is going to do something in the space. I think a possible example of this in the scriptures for us in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are walking to the temple. They go past the, the, the beggar. And Peter just has a faith that he knows that he can say to this man, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he lifts him up. That's the gift of faith, not in isolation, but the gift of faith in action in this space. The fourth gift, gift that is listed in this passage for us is the gift, gifts, plural, of healing. This is about the restoration of health or the restoration of wellness to a person. 
Now, gifts, plural, probably indicates that there's a wide uh, diversity of kind. It can be a healing in the body. It can be a healing in the soul. It can be a healing in the spirit. It can be a healing in the mind. It's wonderful if we have counselors who are operating with a gift of healing because they bring healing to our soul. This gift would also imply that the Holy Spirit bestows on you. You believe that if you pray for this person, whatever their physical ailment, they can be healed or their emotional uh, hurt can be healed in that well. So gifts of healing bestowed by the Holy Spirit. This is in Acts chapter 14, the example. Paul's in Lystra. And while he's talking, he sees a layman, a man lame since birth. And it's interesting in the text, it says he saw that the man had faith. So Paul in that occasion didn't have a gift of faith. He saw something in the lame man that helped him realize this guy's got a gift of faith on him. And so he prays for him and he's instantly healed. He can walk. That's a gift of healing. There's many examples of healings throughout the book of Acts and in the New Testament. This is just one I wanted to give as an illustration. The fifth gift that is listed is miraculous powers or the working of powers. Now, this refers to other miracles. In other words, not gifts of healing, for example. So demonstrations of power that God does. And I think it would also fairly include uh, sometimes in the sphere of deliverance. I know that when I've been praying for people in the area of deliverance, sometimes I just know suddenly this is what's going on and that God, the power of God is going to come and set the person free. So any demonstration of power. A great example of this is in Acts chapter 13 from verse 9 to 11. Uh, the apostles are in a town and one of the a local musicians, his name was Elimus, he wants to buy their power to lay on hands. He wants to buy it from them. And uh, I think it's uh, Peter says to him, you will go blind from this day forward. And he loses his sight. That's a demonstration of power. Not so pleasant for Elimus because his heart was wrong and he was experiencing the consequences of his, of his bad choices. But that's a demonstration of power. That's a mir the miraculous powers at work in the space. Seventh gift that is listed for us is the gift of prophecy, which many of us are more familiar with. This is where God gives you a message for a person. Usually it's for a specific person or a specific group of people, maybe even for a whole church. Uh, it's usually based on a need that the person has. It's, a, it's like a God giving them a message in season. He's speaking to them about their current context or their current situation. Sometimes it's a bit predictive, but the majority of personal prophecies that we would receive today when the gift of prophecy comes is Words of encouraging us in our present situation, our present time, maybe speaking a little bit uh, about what's coming. But it's usually quite specific. It's also revelatory. Uh, it's interesting in 1 Corinthians uh, 14.26, Paul says, when we gather, we, some come with a revelation. Probably referring there to the gift of prophecy as well. Same, same gift, Paul just using a different descriptor of it. It's also interesting in 1 Corinthians 14 that Paul says when unbelievers enter, the prophets can speak and expose the secrets of their heart, which is seriously scary for the unbelievers. But the point then is that it brings them to conviction. So the gift of prophecy is for building up and encouraging people by letting them know what God is saying to them. But it also can be used in the, uh, in the situation with unbelievers as well. Uh, pick two examples from the same prophet. His name is Agabus. Uh, in Acts chapter 11, verse 8, he speaks to the church and he predicts a famine. And later on in Acts chapter 21, uh, Agabus tells Paul that he ties, takes Paul's belt and he does a prophetic action and he ties him. He says the one whose belt this is basically is going to get arrested. So uh, Agabus doesn't actually appear like a good news prophet. He predicts famine and captivity. But I think the, the, the common good, the encouraging, the edifying part of that is that, he's, that, he's, that God is speaking to his people saying, I know what's going to happen. 
prepare yourself for what's going to happen. And so obviously Agabus probably stood in what we would call the office of a prophet, that the gift of prophecy would have worked through him. And so he can predict on a bit of a more general level than perhaps the personal level. But this is an example of the gift of prophecy. The seventh gift that goes with us is the gift of distinguishing of spirits. Usually this is associated also with the gift of prophecy, and it's about judging the prophecies. 1 Corinthians 14, 29 says you need to discern or judge the prophecies. Not only are they from God, but what are they saying and what is God saying through them? Now, someone with it, that the Holy Spirit gives the gift of discernment to will be able to quite quickly say, yeah, I think this is God. It's the ability to distinguish between, is this the Spirit of God? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it the human spirit or the human soul? Or is it actually even a demonic spirit that's in operation here? And so it helps us know what spirit is in operation in the place. There's a great example for us in Acts chapter 16 with the deliverance of the slave girl. The slave girl's following Peter and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas sorry, around and declaring these are servants of the Most High God. So appearing to be saying something true and something positive. But Paul discerns, gift of discernment, that this is a demonic spirit operating in her and he then does deliverance. He delivers her from that spirit, gets into a lot of trouble for it. But that's an example of the discernment of gifts of discernment of spirits in operation. Significantly, towards the end of the list, Paul includes the gift of speaking in tongues. In all five lists mentioned in this section, this gift of speaking in tongues is mentioned. It's the only gift that is repeated, which is what leads us to believe that the Corinthians perhaps had an overemphasis on it at this time. But the gift of tongues is a, a God-given ability, a spirit-inspired ability to speak in other languages. We see in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, where on the day of Pentecost they came out and they were speaking in the languages, foreign languages of other men. And people from those different areas or parts of the world heard these Jewish men and women speaking in their native tongues and languages. So it can refer to a spirit-endowed ability to speak a foreign language, a human language. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 also talks about speaking the language of angels. And so the gift of tongues can probably include a supernatural ability to speak a language you haven't learnt, but also to speak in a heavenly language or a spiritual language, which is not commonly spoken on earth or spoken on earth at all. But it's a spirit-inspired ability to speak in another language. And then going with that is the ninth one that's mentioned here, which is the gift of interpreting tongues. And so what happens there is that someone would hear someone speaking in tongues and the Holy Spirit bestows on them a gift both to translate what the person is saying and often to explain. Sometimes we wonder why you know, a person spoke in a tongue and they maybe spoke for 30 seconds, but when the interpretation comes, uh, it's sometimes a little bit longer and it doesn't always appear to be a word-for-word -word match. I think that's perfectly normal. And there's a little bit of the interpreter's understanding that's involved in this, but their goal is to interpret the message that is given by the Holy Spirit to the church. Possibly, there's not many examples of this that I could find in the New Testament, but when Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, uh, the day of Pentecost has happened and everyone's been speaking in tongues. The foreign languages have been spoken all over the place and Peter stands up and he says, let me interpret for you what you're seeing. This is what the prophet Joel said. He's interpreting the tongue. Maybe not word for word because it says they were declaring the glories of God, but there's some interpretation or contextualization, some explanation that is given to the manifestation of tongues at this time. Now, when we get a little bit further on in our series into chapter 14, we're going to look at a little bit at how do these gifts operate when the church gathers. But for now, just to understand that they're given to each one and to another and to another by the same spirit and a little bit of a context. Now, I think it's helpful to know what the different gifts are and, and maybe to classify them in that way. 
But I do want to just say this, that if the Holy Spirit prompts something in your heart, in your spirit, you, you see someone and you just want to go and say to them, I love you, or you see someone and you know you, just, you have a compassion to go and pray for them, don't worry too much about, you know, which gift is this? Is it faith or is it healings or is it this? Just do what the Holy Spirit's prompted you to do in your heart, and there will be a variety of expression in these gifts. Let's close off this section just by reading Paul's summary verse, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. All these gifts, the nine and all the others that the Holy Spirit might bestow on us, all these gifts are the work of one and the same Spirit. Again, the unity of origin, the unity in the source, one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. The Holy Spirit determines. The Holy Spirit knows what is best when we meet together or when we gather together the Holy Spirit knows what gifts are needed for the common good, what gifts are most appropriate for the common good in that time and in that specific meeting or place. So he determines as they want. I do want to say this at this point. Just because the Holy Spirit bestows them, it doesn't imply that we're passive. We don't come to church and go, well, you know, if God wants to drop it on me, I'm, you know, I'm keen. And we kind of have a leaning back posture. I think when we come, 1 Corinthians 14 later on tells us is that when each one comes, they come with a gift, become leaning forward, become prepared. And so there is a sovereign element in the Holy Spirit distributing the gifts. But we also read, um, for example, about Timothy in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, that he received a spiritual gift by the laying on of hands, and Paul's urging him not to neglect that gift. Uh, second letter to Timothy chapter 1, he says, fan in, Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift that you were given. What this, I think, indicates is that perhaps in each of our lives, there might be a gift of the Spirit that is more dominant or, if I can say, more resident. It's still empowered by the Spirit, still part of our lives. But there's also this element that when I'm in a gathering, God might bestow a gift on me that I've never had or never experienced, even perhaps never even thought about, because he, he has someone else in mind. He has the common good of the body of Christ in mind. And so, usually the spiritual gifts are open to all. If I may, I want to spend just some time looking at three or four of the gifts that are mentioned in the second list in chapter 12 of Corinthians, in chapter 12, verse 28 to 30. Uh, I'm doing this because I want us to understand that there's the variety of gifts. There's more uh, than the nine gifts of the Spirit that Paul has at play. It's still bestowed by the Holy Spirit. Let's read the passage together, and then I'll comment on that a little bit. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, and third, teachers then miracles, then gifts of healing, gifts of helping, gifts of guidance, and different kinds of tongues. Or are all apostles? The implied answer is no, because different gifts are given to different people. Are all prophets? The implied answer again is no. Are all teachers? Again, no, because there's a variety of gifts that God intends. Do all work miracles? Not necessarily. Do all have gifts of healing? Not by implication. And do all speak in tongues? And do all interpret? Now, those last two questions might become a little bit difficult for Pentecostal charismatic believers. Can everyone speak in tongues? And is the gift of tongues the sign that normally accompanies an infilling of the Holy Spirit? Yes, we deduce that from the book of Acts. Everyone can speak in tongues. But when the church is gathered, that gift doesn't necessarily fall on everybody. It's not something that everyone can speak in tongues, but the gift of tongues for when the church is gathered doesn't necessarily happen to everyone in every gathering at this time. So the context of the question is very important in this instance. 
Um, apostles, prophets, and teachers, we know, are gifts given by Jesus to the church from Ephesians chapter 4. They're gifts given by Jesus to the church for the purpose of equipping the saints to bring them to the work of a place of maturity. But it's also interesting that Paul lists them here as gifts of the Spirit. Because when Paul writes about the gifts, he's thinking here much more of the function. God gifts some people in the church with an apostolic function. They're the ones who know the true teachings of Christ. In, in the first century world, you need to have known the teachings of Christ and met or had an encounter with a resurrected Christ. That's Paul's very narrow definition of an apostolic qualification. But the ones, they, they, the, the apostle apostolic function are the itinerant preachers who would go from church to church. They would bring leadership gifts. They would bring the true teachings of Christ. And they would sort of probably be more ministering to the church at large. So when the church gathers, sometimes there's an apostolic person present that the Holy Spirit is gifted to give context and teaching and hearing what's going on in the broader church community. The first century world, the apostolic leaders were often also church planters as well. Prophet and the prophetic gift we've spoken about, but this is that in the church, God will have people who are prophetic that are there for the common good of the local church, probably a little bit more confined. Sorry, I got a bit ahead of myself. Let me catch up here with the presentation. So the apostle... It's more a focus on the function in this passage. Paul has a very narrow usage where it's a witness of Christ, a post-resurrection experience of Christ, and also being commissioned as an apostle. But usually they are itinerant or they travel around because they strengthen the broader church. They're involved in the ministry to the church at large. That's the New Testament understanding of the apostolic function. The context of prophet here is that they're more resident in the local churches. They're the ones in the local churches through whom the gift of prophecy usually flows. And they're important. Now, why first apostles, second prophets, third teachers is these are three very important functions to build up the church, to grow the church, and to encourage the church. The teachers are the ones who can instruct other believers about Jesus. They can give context and application to the teachings of Christ. They help people grow and mature, but they're still gifted by the Holy Spirit to the church that they're in. We've spoken about the, some of the other gifts uh, here, that are here, the working of miracles and the gifts of healing. Uh, let me just talk a little bit about the gift of helping. Con context of this word is always that someone who is stronger or in a better position helping someone who is weaker or in a less fortunate position. Usually the people with the gift of helps will have a high degree of compassion as well. And it's often associated with ministry to the sick and to the needy. These people, the Holy Spirit, um, will bestow on them. They're always thinking about others that are less fortunate. It's a, it's a motivation that's not only in their hearts. From Romans 12, we can see about that motivation. But also in this context, in the church, they're the ones who are looking around them and noticing the needs of others in the space. But it's from those who are stronger to assist those who are weaker. The last one I want to mention, just so that we get a bit of a feel of the wide variety of gifts that God has given is the gift of guidance. In some translations, it says the gift of administrations. It's an interesting Greek word. It's the word kibernesis, and it's really about providing guidance or creating order or direction. So this is probably a gift that would often be associated with governance or leadership. And we also need that when our churches gather, that there are people who know how to order things and how to set things in the right pattern and space, a gift bestowed by the Spirit because God loves the church and he wants what is best for the church. And so the other gift listed there is the different kinds of tongues in that passage, which we've also spoken about. So I've gone really quickly through a whole number of gifts, 10, 12, 13 gifts in, in this space. What Paul is doing is he's saying to the Corinthians, there's a variety of manifestations of the Spirit. 
that you can experience when you gather as a church. I think once you understand the principle that it's for the common good, you can translate this into your personal spaces, in your family, in your homes. Wouldn't it be wonderful for the Holy Spirit to bestow a couple of words of knowledge on us for our children every now and then, that we just know what they're wrestling with in their heart or what they're going through. And then for their common good, we can say, you know, I just feel like you're wrestling with this or I sense that or I don't know if you should pull a God spoke to me on your children always, but if it's clear enough for you, you can do that. And then you can encourage them and pray with them. Perhaps in your workspaces or public spaces, you see someone and you just know that person needs prayer today or that person's going through a divorce or that person is sick and needs healing. And then you go to them and you, you know, I'm just wondering, do you, would you like some prayer for this? Or I just had a sense or God spoke to me that you're battling with this or you've been diagnosed with that. Can I pray for you? Remember, always for the common good. And then the Holy Spirit has the other person in mind in that space. So what practical principles can we learn other than that there's this variety of gifts? And I want to just talk us through a couple of things that I think that are important from this passage. And they're on the screen here, and I'll go through them one by one. So first of all, the gifts of the Spirit are available to everyone. It's not for a special class of Christian or for super saints. They're available to everyone. Remember, the Spirit gives to one and to another and to another. Everyone who's part of the body of Christ, the spiritual gifts are available to you. But, very important, they are not primarily for you or about you. And sometimes in my experience, when we start learning about the gifts of the Spirit, we're a little bit more worried about ourselves. And it helps us to remember that the intent of the gift is not you. You're not the primary recipient of the gift. It's the other person. It's the person you're going to pray for. It's the meeting in which you're going to share the word of wisdom and knowledge. It's those that you're going to help by creating order or administering wisdom in different spaces. So the gifts are not primarily for you or about you. Now, as I said last week, if you're living in habitual sin and you're really walking away from God, uh, you're going to do damage if you practice the gifts. You're going to destroy the credibility of God and of the church. So please don't do that if that is the situation. But deal with it. Get it sorted out. There's, if you're faithful to confess your sins, God will forgive you and you can be restored and brothers and sisters around you can help you on that journey so that you can be available to minister in a spirit of holiness and excellence. So they're not primarily for you or about you. And very important, the gift does not belong to you. You are not the giver or the owner of the gift. The Holy Spirit bestows the gift, one, in this, one spirit by the same spirit. The gift belongs to the Holy Spirit. And so our role with the spiritual gifts is to be good and faithful stewards. We walk with, I like this posture of open hands. I'm available for the Lord and he bestows this gift of the spirit or he bestows that gift of the spirit in my life. And then I'm responsible to be a good steward and translate that gift or give that gift to others. So they're usually, the gifts are not, they're not, don't belong to you. And I think when people start thinking the gifts belong to them, then they start getting into that very dangerous place that we spoke about last week where we say that we, I don't need you and we dismiss others because we start taking an inappropriate ownership of our gifts. We have a stewardship responsibility, but the gifts don't belong to us. They belong to God because they're given by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the source of the gift and the Holy Spirit then knows what everyone needs in that service. The Spirit gives the gift with someone else in mind. It's always with someone else in mind. That might be a singular person. It might be a group of people, but the Spirit is given. The Spirit gives the gift, sorry, with others in mind. And then 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, for the common good, for the purpose of building them up 
to edify is the, the older language word that is used. The gifts are given to build up the body of Christ. They are given for others. And so how do we apply what we have learned uh, in the week ahead? I want to put out an availability challenge. I'm going to call it an availability challenge. Are you going to be available to God in the week ahead? Now, this is the Sunday before Christmas. We're going to celebrate Christmas on Friday. So it's a season of giving gifts. How appropriate. Are you going to be available for God to bestow a gift on the Spirit on, of, on you that you can give to others for their common good? Will you be available this week to give the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And so there is a sovereignty to this where the Holy Spirit bestows. But there is this element where we can say, Jesus, I'm available. Holy Spirit, I'm available. I want to keep others in mind. I want to benefit others. I want to create a common good around me. I want to encourage and build others up around me. Can you in this week of Christmas take up the availability challenge and be available for the Holy Spirit to use, whether the church is gathered, whether you're in your home, uh, or even in a, a public space or situation? And so last week, one of the, the things we said around the, one of the Corinthian questions was, is what does it mean to be spiritual? One of the things that was clear last week was that you need to be part of the body of Christ. You need to be in the body of Christ. What does it mean to be spiritual? To The Corinthians probably thought to speak a whole lot in tongues. Okay, and Paul is basically saying to them not. To be spiritual means to have a variety of gifts expressed in your local church, in your local body. But what does it mean is that you need to be available, you need to be faithful, and you need to be obedient. Those are all important elements of living a spiritual life and expressing true biblical spirituality available, obedient, and faithful, and wanting to build one another up for the common good. When I'm a spiritual person, I'm interested in the common good, to edify and build up those that are around me. Won't you allow me to pray? Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you gift us, you gift each one, you gift the church, because you love the church. You want to build the church up. You want the church to be a healthy body with a variety of gifts that are making visible the grace of God, both in word and in deed. And I pray for us in the week ahead that we would be especially sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We want to say, Lord, that we want to be available. Use us in this week. Give us a gift of the Spirit that we can share with somebody else for their good, for their edification, to build them up. I pray, Holy Spirit, you give us gifts of faith where needed, to be brave, and that you also give us clarity to know how to love people well and to speak into these spaces. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So part three of our series next week, we're going to pick up where Paul ends, uh, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians where he says, I will show you a more excellent way. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul talks about love. And we want to particularly see why does Paul have to uh, address the Corinthians about love in the context of what he's talking to them about the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So join us next week for that. Uh, speaking about the week ahead, I'm sure many of you would be aware of the president's announcement from uh, Monday the 14th of December, where there are some stricter regulations around gatherings and particularly in religious services where we cannot have more than 100 people in a, at an indoor service. Some of you may also have seen the uh, video clip that Pastor Louis posted earlier in the week just regarding our decision to move all our services online. Uh, this was really largely done uh, to, in terms of people's health and safety for our members, our staff, 
and also our volunteers. So please continue to join us online as we go uh, into the next season of our church life. The next time we're joining together online is on Friday for Christmas morning service, Merry Christmas. Uh, but we've put together a short message with some carols that uh, you and the family can enjoy together. And this will be available from 8 o'clock on Friday morning. In terms of our service next Sunday, the 27th of December, as we've always planned, uh, that is going to be an online service only. And so won't you join us for that as well? Uh, the service will be available and uh, streamed live from 9.30 on Sunday morning. Look forward to seeing you there. Omnipotent, powerful, you are, you are glorious, mighty one, you are, you are majesty, righteous son, you are, you are. Living words 